ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. If you'll turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, we want to look at a multitude no man could number. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that setteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. As we continue to move through the book of the Revelation, we're in the middle of a parenthetical passage. Chapter 7 is inserted into the narrative to allow us to catch a glimpse of the grace of God work during the most horrible time this earth has ever known. In our last study, we saw the Lord redeem 144,000 Jewish men. These men were sent out into the entire world to preach the gospel of the kingdom to all nations. In this passage, we will see the fruits of their preaching, as a vast multitude is brought to faith in Jesus Christ and is delivered out of the great tribulation. You know, it should comfort our hearts to know that the rapture of the church does not spell the end of people being saved. We should thank him because he intends to redeem a multitude that no man could number during the dark years of the tribulation period. This passage reveals the heart of our great God. It is in his heart and plan to save sinners. 
And he is going to do just that during the tribulation. The Bible is clear that Jesus Christ came into this world for the sole purpose of saving sinners from their sin. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It's also clear that God intends to save every person who will turn to Jesus Christ by faith. John chapter 6 and verse 37 reminds us that all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. My friend, this is God's promise to his elect. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The heartbeat of God, this is it, and it can be heard in the verses that we've read today. Now let's go back in the heart of the tribulation period. We're going to rejoin John in his vision of that terrible time. For in these verses, we're going to learn about a vast, multitude of redeemed saints, and we're going to get a glimpse into glory as the curtain is pulled back just, just a little bit. In verses 9 through 12, I want you to see the description of this multitude. Reading John's description of this multitude reveals several things about who these people actually are. One, I would point out their number. They're described as a multitude which no man can number. They are a group of people so vast that John makes no attempt at all to declare their number. What a wonderful image of the grace of God. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved, Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, Sometime later, 5,000 were saved on one occasion in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. We're also told that God added daily to the church such as should be saved, Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. Now, I read that and I'm amazed at his saving power. But wait, about one million were saved in Nineveh when the entire city repented and turned to faith in God, Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Thank God for his saving grace. Even more amazing than that is the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt. Over three million were saved by grace when they placed the blood on the doorpost of their houses by faith. And that's in Exodus chapter 12. All of these great demonstrations of the powerful saving grace of God pale in comparison to what he will do during the tribulation period. God will save a multitude that will number in the multiplied millions and we thank God for his grace. But also it would help to see the nationalities. We're told that they come from all nations and kindreds, and people, and tongues. Now, here is a multitude that knows no racial, no economic, 
No social, no national distinctions whatsoever. The gospel has been preached worldwide without respect to any people group, and a vast multitude is saved. They are Gentiles, and they have been saved by grace. In the first few verses of this chapter, God dealt with the Jews. Now, he extends his grace to the Gentile nations of the world. Folks, we should thank the Lord for the gospel of grace, for it's a message that applies to people everywhere. It distinguishes one fact, and that is there is one race in God's eyes. In fact, the racial distinctions here that we have in America and in our world did not come from God at all. There's only one race, and that's the human race, and God says we're either saved or lost. He doesn't make distinction between color of skin. He doesn't make distinction between finances or economic distress. He doesn't make distinction of any nationality. He says, if you're born again, you're saved. If you're breathing, you're a candidate. We should thank God for that. After all, if Jesus was a racist, some of us white folks would be in trouble as well. The whole heart of racism came from Satan to divide us. I also remind you that the gospel message is not a Baptist message. You may have heard the old story about a wall in heaven, and behind that wall there's a group of people just shouting and praising the Lord. And one fellow who was new to heaven asked another fellow what was going on over there behind that wall, and that man said, oh, that's the Baptists. They, they think they're the only ones up here. Now, there's some Baptists who think that way, but my friend, listen to me. We're not saved a Baptist way or a denominational way we're saved the Bible way. Now, in addition, we're told a bit about their natures. Some people look at this multitude and they see the church. My friend, this multitude is not the church. First, they are standing. When the church is shown in heaven, Revelation 4 and 4, they are sitting. Second, this crowd was saved out of great tribulation, according to verse 14. The church will be saved from that terrible time of wrath and judgment. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Romans 5 and verse 9, Revelation 3 and 10, Romans 8 and verse 1. And while they're not the church, this is not the church, their appearance and condition in heaven is clearly described. We see that they're virtuous. The Bible says that they're clothed with white robes. Now, this is always a picture of righteousness in the Bible, and these people are saved by grace, and they have been rendered righteous. That is the promise of God to all who will come to Jesus Christ by faith. 1 John 1, 7, Isaiah 1 and verse 18. My friend, Jesus Christ is in the saving and the cleansing business. I thank him that the blood of Christ is able to reconcile us to God. When Jesus died, that wall of separation that had been erected by sin was forever torn down, and now we can be reconciled with God. 
Ephesians 1, 6, verse 7 as well, and then Romans 5, verse 10. But I will also show you that this group, this multitude, my friend, they are victorious. These redeemed saints have palm branches in their hands. Palms are a symbol of victory. The crowds waved palm branches and placed them in the road as Jesus entered Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. John chapter 12, verse 13. And these saints are celebrating the great victory that was given to them over sin, Satan, and the power of the Antichrist. They have overcome, and they enjoy the spoils of the victory that they have been given. Verse 10, they shout, and verse 10 tells us what they shout. These saints lift their voices in an anthem of praise to their Redeemer for his redemption. They know that they are in heaven, but for one reason, and for one reason only. They are there because of the grace of God and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They praise him for his great grace. If there's ever a reason to give God praise, it is for the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sin. His salvation is the only one reason for praise that all of his saints share. Our circumstances may change. We come from all different walks of life. We have different hard and, and difficult places to walk in our life. But if you're born again, your name is written in glory and it always will be. There's a reason for praise, for shouting, for singing, for testimony, for all the glory that we can render unto our great God. Now in verses 11 and 12, we see what they actually stimulate. When the angelic host around the throne of God witnessed the unbridled praise of this redeemed multitude, they joined their voices with them in praise to God. The shouts of the multitude inspire the angels to praise the Lord as well. Can you imagine the sound of millions and millions of voices joined together in an anthem of praise? Now the angels lift their voices and cry, Amen. Thus they add their agreement to the praises of the redeemed, and they add a sevenfold statement of glory to God and praise to him for who he is and what he does. They know what they have said is true, so they close their statement of praise with another amen. The angels cannot praise God for salvation, for they've never known the depths of sin. But these angels have seen the love of God in action as he went about in the business of saving lost human beings. And they marveled as they watched as their creator, the Lord Jesus, died on the cross of Calvary to save people who despised him. They have witnessed the spontaneous outburst of praise as sinners have been saved down through the ages. Praising God for salvation is a human privilege. Secondly, I would show you that in verses 13 and 14, we see the deliverance of this multitude. Now as John watches this powerful scene, one of the elders approaches him and asks John about the identity of this vast throng of people. 
John declares his ignorance of their identity, and then he petitions the elder to tell him who they are. And he proceeds to do just that. John is told that these are people who came out of great tribulation. These people have been living through the horrors of the tribulation period. But even during that time of intense wrath and judgment, there is a ray of light as the amazing, boundless grace of God reaches down to touch a vast multitude of lost souls. And these people were saved the same way people have always been saved, always will be saved, by grace through faith. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God lest any man should boast. And we're told that they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And this simple statement reveals a most profound truth. God only knows one method of salvation. Whether it was Adam and Eve in the garden, Abel with his sacrifice, Abraham and his ram, Israel and the sacrifices of the tabernacle and the temple, Salvation in the Old Testament was through the blood of the Lamb. And when they shed the blood of an innocent animal to atone for their sins, they were looking ahead to the day when God would send the perfect sacrifice that would take away sin forever. Those Old Testament saints were saved by looking forward to Calvary. When Jesus came and went to the cross, he accomplished what millions of animal sacrifices could only picture. When Jesus died, he obtained eternal salvation for all who will believe on him. Those of us on this side of the cross are saved by looking back to what Jesus did at the cross and realizing that his death and his resurrection are all that is needed to our salvation. When we trust him by faith, we are eternally saved, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And even in the midst of great tribulation. Souls will be saved by the preaching, the simple preaching of a simple gospel. Here it is once again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and 4. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. My friend, that is the gospel. Thirdly, I want you to see in verses 15 through 17 the destiny of this multitude. They're destined to a heavenly presence. You see, we're told in verse 15 that this multitude finds themselves at home in heaven in the presence of Almighty God. Their days of suffering and sorrow have ended and they've arrived in glory. They're no longer separated from the Lord by distance, by sin, or by time. They are home with him, and they're there to stay. Notice where they are. Because they have been redeemed, because they've been cleansed, 
They're allowed to stand in the presence of God. My friend, this was unheard of in Bible times. In the temple, there was a place called the Court of the Gentiles. This was the outer court of the temple, and non-Jews were not allowed to go any deeper into the temple complex. That, my friend, was the outer court. And to do so brought a Gentile under the penalty of death. When Jesus died, that veil in the temple was ripped down the middle, Matthew 27, verse 51. And this signified the fact that all men had equal access to God. These redeemed Gentiles are brought into the very presence of God, and their present condition must make Satan livid with rage. Verse 14 tells us that they came out of great tribulation. These people are in heaven because they were martyred for their faith in Jesus and for their refusal to embrace the Antichrist and their king and as their God. And it's possible that these precious saints are the same crowd that we saw praying from under the altar in Revelation 6, 9 through 11. Now their prayers have been answered. They are home and judgment is being handed out upon the earth. The worst thing Satan could do to these people was to kill them and it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to them. They gave up the pain and the sorrow of a world gone mad for the safety and the joy of an eternity in the presence of God. The Bible says that they will serve him day and night in his temple. This joyous, redeemed multitude is in the presence of God and they are at the beck and call of God himself. They're going to spend their eternity carrying out his will as they serve him, worship him, and bask in his presence. By the way, don't you ever think for an instant that heaven is a boring place or will be boring. We will not twiddle our thumbs, bored stiff, while eternity passes us by. We're going to be busy serving the Lord. There's going to be plenty to do, and I'm convinced that just our praise and worship time will be enormous. We will rest from our labors, but we will not rest from our service to Almighty God. By the way, there's no place to quit over here either. Oh, you might step aside and let someone else do the job. There comes a time when it's time for a change. There comes a time when it's time for new blood in some offices. However, there will never come a time this side of the grave when you can rightfully set down on God and quit. As long as he leaves you here, he has a work for you to do. Get before him and find out what it is and get to it. Now remember, these saints were saved out of the tribulation period. They've been saved, but they had also suffered with everyone else on earth. Just because they turned to the Lord does not mean that they were sheltered from the horrors of those days. In fact, their faith in Jesus Christ might have made their lives even more miserable here on earth. 
Remember, the book of Revelation is not in chronological order. We're seeing people who are martyred throughout the years of the tribulation. We're told several things about their past and about what they can anticipate in heaven. The Bible says they're going to hunger no more. Remember the famines we talked about, Revelation 6, 5 and 6? We're also told that Antichrist will require people to wear a mark in their bodies before they can buy or sell. That's in Revelation 13, 16 through 18. Because of their faith, they will refuse the mark and will go hungry. The Bible also says that their refusal to wear the mark will be a death warrant to them. Revelation 13, verse 15. But we're also told that in heaven the Lamb will feed them. No more hunger and glory. The Bible says that they will thirst no more. We're told that the waters of the earth will be turned to blood and be unfit to drink during the tribulation. Revelation 8 and verse 8. And as a result, the people of the earth will be thirsty. But in heaven, they're led to fountains of living water by the Lamb. They're satisfied there. Bible says they're not going to suffer anymore. The reference to the sun and the heat reminds us that the tribulation period will be a period of intense physical suffering and the redeemed saints of God will not be immune from the effects of God's judgment upon nature. In Revelation 16 verses 8 through 10, the intensity of the sun will be greatly increased, causing dehydration in men and great pain and great suffering. They will literally chew their tongues in their pain and in their agony. But in heaven, none of those things that hurt them on earth will be allowed to follow them up there. The Bible says they will weep no more. Imagine all that they had seen and suffered because of their faith. Their hearts have been broken, their eyes wet with tears, and even as they gave their all for Jesus Christ. But the Bible says the Lamb of God will wipe away the tears of their suffering and sorrow. He will comfort them. He will give them rest. He'll give them peace and blessing. By the way, these blessings are ours as well. Read Revelation 21 and 22. Now, folks, in closing, I want you to remind you that we serve a soul-saving God. I thank God that he reaches down in grace. He calls lost sinners to himself, and he saves them. But as we think about this multitude today, I know that neither I nor anyone listening will ever be a part of that number if you're saved. You're going to see them one day and watch them as they shout praises unto God and the Lamb. If you're not born again today and Jesus comes back, you, my friend, will never have another opportunity to be saved. So here's the invitation. If you're lost and would like to be saved, come to Christ today. Oh, my friend, time is running out. Come to Christ today. You will never, ever regret coming to Christ. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord. 